it was a huge switch for me to go from a life based at sea, so living on ships constantly, to a life based in one location, this shipyard. And honestly, it is really challenging for me sometimes because I still get offers to you know, sail to Greenland or sail to China or do all these crazy things. And But it just, this has such a sense of meaning here and accomplishment to hopefully launch this vessel that inspires so much more. And I just think there's so much potential here that I, I couldn't walk away. Welcome to the Sustainable Jungle Podcast, where we speak to remarkable people changing the world for the better. I'm Joy, and today I'm speaking to Danielle Doggett, the generally impressive person and co-founder of Costa Rican-based Sail Cargo Inc. This is the company looking to inspire a new generation of carbon-negative shipping. They are building Sabre, a cargo ship that will transport ethical and sustainably made products between the Americas in an entirely carbon-negative way. In this discussion, we cover the ubiquity and destruction of modern-day shipping, how Sail Cargo will not only build Sabre in a sustainable way, but how they plan to actually deliver carbon-negative shipping. We also cover their innovative funding model, operating a sustainable startup in Costa Rica, and how the project is doing so far. I should say that Danielle was calling in from an ultra-rustic shipyard on the coast of Costa Rica, so the audio for this episode is a little hummy, but on the bright side, how amazing is technology that we can even bring you this story from the other side of the world? You can find the show notes for this episode, including all the relevant links, including a couple of excellent sail cargo videos at sustainablejungle.com forward slash podcast. Now let's sail away and learn about next level cargo shipping. Let's start at the beginning. Where were you born and where did you grow up? I was born just north of Kingston, Ontario in Canada, and that is also where I grew up. Uh, so that's located on the Great Lakes. And uh, you've had 15 years of experience in the shipping industry. How did you get into shipping? And perhaps you can give us a, a rundown of your career path to now. Sure. Well, I do want to clarify a little bit. I'm only on the fringe of the shipping industry, uh, although I have worked on ships since I was began crewing at age 13 on a square rig ship called the St. Lawrence II which is located in Lake Ontario. So I started that uh, with a summer camp, and I got hooked, and they have a really good training program where they train people until they're 18. And ever since then, I've just been working on traditional sailing vessels in many locations from the Caribbean up to Iceland and Europe, and mostly around the Atlantic Ocean's corners of the Atlantic Ocean. I started getting more knowledgeable about the shipping industry in around 2010, early 2010, when I worked on the engineless ship, our uh, engineless cargo ship, Tres Hombres. So that was where my the two worlds met. So it's a cargo ship that has no engines that transports basically primarily rum from the Dominican Republic up to Europe. And I worked there starting as a volunteer and really got to see all about that and was inspired to start something of my own with my co-founder Lynx, who I also met on that trip. That's super cool. And, and the, the Tres Hombres, are they run by the, I think I saw in one of your videos, Fair Transport in the Netherlands, is that right? Yep. Yeah, correct. So who, yep. are they, who are they and how did they, are they sort of a sustainability oriented organization as well? Yes, they absolutely are. So they are, Tres Hombres as the name would indicate are three friends, three guys. And they were also sailing on traditional ships and when you're out there on the water on these traditional ships sailing around big big sailing vessels, you you come firsthand in first contact with 
with the shipping industry and with these large container vessels. And so you kind of do see right away the scale of it and you, you do see, uh, you know, the black smoke billowing out and all these things. So they were inspired to come together and do a, a very romantic project, which is the Trace on Braises Engineless Brigantine that sails rum. And they're extremely inspirational and uh, they've inspired many people over the 10 years they've been operating. You're right, that does sound really romantic, sort of <laughs> engineless transport of rum. So what sort of exposure did you have to them? So I started as a volunteer in the Dominican Republic and sailed across the ocean to Europe with uh, 18,000 bottles of rum. And I stuck around with them and actually became up to first mate, so that's just below the captain. And I also worked in their office from time to time. So I really did work with them, I think it was almost two years in total. Yeah, they inspired me to begin writing business plans and to really looking at the behind the scenes uh, cogs of how a business works or how it doesn't work. And I got to learn a lot from them on that, which I also took to Schooner Roof, which is a cargo schooner. It's a flagship of Barbados, uh, which I was captain of and also wrote the business plan for that. So yeah, there was a, there was a learning curve there for sure as well, which was really interesting. Wow, you sure have done a lot. So you were you're a real sailor then, I should say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, super cool. And now you've obviously had a lot of exposure to the shipping industry, as you said, sort of indirectly through through working in these various vessels. Maybe you could outline for those listening who don't know much about shipping, like me, um, what what is the standard shipping approach? Say, if you want to ship goods from one country to another, how does it typically work? Uh, well, you would normally go through some sort of freight forwarder or logistics agency to fill a container. Whether you fill it or whether you just put one object in doesn't really matter. But you would put your item or items in a container and then put it on the ship and it gets sailed across. And the logistics agency would help you at every step. And that's pretty much the same as what we would be doing with SABA as well. Um, I guess my ultimate question is to what extent is the existing approach damaging to the environment? So the existing shipping model is detrimental to the environment, uh, to say the least. So I like to talk about the lifespan, the complete lifespan of, of, of anything, whether it's a project or planting a tree or building a wooden ship, Seba, or building a container ship and looking at that lifespan. So they begin their life uh, in an iron ore mine, which is where we get steel from. It's an alloy that includes iron. And the, all the largest iron, iron mines are actually in Brazil, most of them. And so they're actually deforesting the Amazon to, to get these iron, uh, iron deposits out of the ground. And so I think a lot, a lot of people already know a lot about iron mining. I don't really need to, <laughs> to go into the destructive detail of that. But then these ships go on, and there's the, the, one of the interesting things that I don't think people really grasp is that 90% of everything you own has been on a ship. So pretty much all objects are moved around using these massive, massive ships that can carry over 18,000 containers uh, per vessel. And the fuel that these vessels run on, which is mind-boggling how much they go through, is actually the lowest grade fuel in the world. So if you think about putting gas in your car and you know that it's clear and it's quite vis uh, viscous and yeah, clear liquid. If you can imagine that the fuel that these ships burn has so many impurities, it's literally scraping the bottom of the barrel. It's so full of impurities that at room temperature, it's uh, solid enough that you could walk on it. So to get it 
to get the fuel viscous enough that it can actually run through a motor, they have to have secondary engines that burn higher grade fuel to warm it up so it becomes a sort of like moving sludge. And so that's just an image that I like to share with people. <laughs> and presumably that's, so that's all been burnt to, to power the vessel. And what happens in terms of what goes into the ocean? Is there anything that comes out of the, the ship and goes into the sea? Absolutely. So there are, I, we just did a, we were just talking with a grant application program and they asked us which of the ocean challenges does ship, does your company, SABA, uh, address? And I looked at the list and I said, every single one of these ocean challenges has to do with shipping. And one of the major ones, uh, which is not to do with fuel, but is the type of ballast they use. So a major, major thing that ships have to take into consideration is stability. And when they change, the freight that they have, if they have more, if they have less, they need to change and kind of counterweight that so they remain stable. And these large ships use water ballast, so they have huge water tanks that they fill up or, or re release the water depending on how they need to change their stability. And this is the number one cause of invasive species traveling um, around the world. Gosh, so it's not a pretty picture so far in the value chain at all. No, and well, for me, just to close out with a bit of this sort of dark part of it is so talking, going back to that concept of the whole circle of life or lifespan of a certain element, in this case, the ship. For example, when Seba or a tree dies, it will fall and it will rot and it's an organic material that will go back to nature. When these ships are, when the owners of these ships have decided that they are done with them. They are sold to a third party company. This is very obvious, like this is done openly. They're sold to a third party company. Uh, typically the owners are often from a f what you could call first world country, I guess, and they are sold to a third party and then sold again to a country that has lower regulations. And then they are, are literally driven at top speed right up onto the beach in typically in Bangladesh. It's really interesting. You should you could Google it, uh, ship breaking, or or search it on the internet. And they drive these the world's largest ships at top speed, right onto the beach, and then people disassemble them uh, without any safety gear. And it's a whole other thing. Gosh. But it's akin it's akin to kind of crumpling up an aluminum can and throwing it on someone else's lawn, and just telling them to clean it up. So, but at the world's largest scale. <laughs> Wow. So really all those goods that we have in our homes, you know, just to bring it home to a consumer perspective, that the true cost of that is not even nearly, I mean, it's not even just an emissions number. It's, it's, it's way, it's far more than that. There's a social impact. There's an impact on the actual oceans themselves. It's, it's so very clear that something needs to change. So tell us a little bit more about Sail Cargo and the, <laughs> and the Sabre project. Absolutely. So we here in Costa Rica are building Sabre which is a 45 meters wooden sailing ship, which will transport cargo. We have a three and a half acres or 1.4 hectares shipyard, which we call our eco shipyard or jungle shipyard, uh, which we are also actively reforesting right now. And we are building Seba out of wood, all 100% locally sourced, environmentally responsibly sourced Costa Rican lumber. And she will be a flagship for sustainability and have an emission, actually we call it beyond carbon <laughs> or carbon negative uh, off service offering. So we will just simply transport goods like any other vessel, except without the carbon footprint. 
That's awesome. So how does the, the responsibly sourced wood work in Costa Rica? So that's actually one of the main draws we had of coming to Costa Rica is that they have very strict environmental laws, uh, which allows them to say that they are one of the countries that with their national forests are actually growing every year in size rather than decreasing. But so we have all environmentally sourced wood around here, which means they all have environmental permits. Every single wood, or sorry, <laughs> every single tree was granted a specific permit for itself to be able to be cut down. And they're all within approximately a hundred kilometer radius. So that's also cutting greatly on transportation costs of the building materials themselves. We also have a reforestation effort on our side. We're to date, we've planted about 1,600 trees, and we've probably cut maybe 65 so far. So, But the interesting thing is that Seba, as a ship, will have a lifespan, if she's well-maintained, uh, a working lifespan of approximately 100 years. And so that's also giving these trees an extra life, basically, in, on the water. But here in the tropics, trees grow really quickly. Uh, relatively speaking. And so these trees will exist for 100 years in the ship, but they only take 50 years to grow. And through our tree planting uh, kind of give back program, we're actually going to be planting more trees with the profits. So it's a fully regenerative system. Oh man, that's so cool. You've got the full circle going there. Creating yeah, the, trying. <laughs> the next generation of little, of big, little big ships, big ships. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> but also you know, planting more than you need, which is pretty epic. Um, talk us through how it's gonna work in practice. Sort of what, will the, what are the types of customers you'll have and what, what sort of shipping routes will you ha run? How will it work? Yeah, so we already have some clients uh, stepping up who, it's funny, you know, they, it's funny when somebody comes up to you and they say, we have been waiting for you. <laughs> That's so cool. The first time, yeah, the first time someone said it, I was like, uh, me? You've been waiting for me? And then I realized that by the second time I was used to it, like, you've been waiting for a clean carbon option for transportation. And so we have find our clients are a lot of, like, value-added natural products, so organic coffee or fair trade cacao or uh, barley from Canada or these things where people take a really lovely natural product and try to make it the best that they possibly can. I saw the um, the interview with the, the guy from the coffee company in one of your videos. He looked so happy about it. <laughs> yeah, people are excited about it. I think, I guess for them, you know, they put all this effort into creating these sustainable products and then only to not ruin it, but, you know, by sort of tainting it a little bit by adding on shipping emissions at the end. So for them to be able to say this is an entirely carbon, you know, negative process, it would be super attractive to them, I, I expect. Exactly. It definitely adds value to their product. So what we say is that we repair the final broken link in an otherwise sustainable supply chain. And it's going to be going, the products are going to be going typically between the Americas, is that right? Yeah, correct. So the home port is here in Costa Rica, and our, we call it our northern home port will be in Victoria, British Columbia, so up in Canada. And stopping along the way in Hawaii, then up to Canada, we may even go to Alaska from time to time. And then down the coast of the United States, and also stopping in Mexico, and back to Costa Rica. So if there's more time in our schedule, we will also try to stop in Peru or Ecuador and the Galapagos Islands. It sounds so dreamy, like you say, <laughs> like romantic. It's it's really romantic. 
but these are all super valuable products. I mean, these are things that we all use every day, like coffee and cacao and cotton. I was looking at your website. There's some really beautiful things that are going to be coming out, you know, vanilla even. Yeah, well, but, but yeah, I didn't know that vanilla actually, one of the main places it originated is Guatemala. Oh. I always thought it was only from Madagascar. So I learned something there. There you go. But that's what we try to do is also aim to transport products that we call necessary to transport. So I were, I was talking to a friend of mine who is a trucker in Canada. He drives these big truck rigs. And he says, yeah, I used to work for a company where I would literally be driving boxes of Smarties one way. And I knew that the other guy I worked with was driving boxes of Smarties the other way. And it's just like this broken system. Uh, but you don't even need to be transporting Smarties. I mean, candy is like it's not something you need to transport. No. But things such as coffee or, you know, real chocolate or textiles or things that people do need and, and will go that further mile to have it in a sustainable way. That's what we aim to transport. Tell me a bit about, more about the how the ship will actually be powered. Obviously, sailing itself um, is completely carbon free. Uh, but I imagine you need more than just the wind power to get a ship from down below to up above. Yes, and that's actually one thing that we will stand out with is that we will have a 100% electric engine as well. And in fact, it will be the largest electric engine of its kind in the world, which uh, the important thing is that it's capable of regenerating power on its own. So the electric engine works in the same system with the sails, like they're kind of working together. So when there's too much wind, we consider that having excess energy. And to harness that excess energy, we're actually able to kind of switch our two propellers into generators. So they spin and charge our large battery bank so that when there's not enough wind, we can turn on the engine. That sounds really smart. Did, did you design that or get get some clever engineer to design that? Well, it's interesting. I work when I work. So I also have a traditional rigging company. So that's kind of what I switched to for a little while there. So doing kind of knots and rope work and splices and working with sails and wire and things like that. And that com working founding that company afforded me the chance to go to Iceland to work on a prototype project, which was so mostly Scandinavian and German and Swiss and yeah, different people in Icelandic, of course, came together to design this engine. And I wasn't really part of that in any way. I was sitting beside them tying ropes like, wow, that looks really interesting. And uh, it was very inspirational. And we said, OK, well, when the time comes, I know I want to build a large ship, a larger ship. We're going to call you because this, we want to take lessons from this project that you guys have now completed with this electric engine and apply them and make the, the better changes to improve that system. And that's exactly what we're doing right now. It's almost like everything you've done has culminated in this moment where you bring it all together and make it happen. Well, I always knew I wanted to be the captain of a tall ship. And before that happened, I realized that well, I actually want to build a big boat. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I say the word I, but it's not me. So I did do lots of projects. So I say, OK, I want to learn rigging. OK, I want to learn project management. I want to do the back office. So, so I, I definitely invested some time in that. It's so cool. I imagine not every little girl grows up thinking I want to be the captain of a tall ship <laughs> slash, you know, build a boat. <laughs> Very impressive. Yeah, no, my grandmother, my parents signed me up to go to that summer camp for eight days because I had uh, confidence issues in ballet and singing in church choir and playing violin and just really quiet and riding horses and like the really nice 
and they're like, hey, Danielle, you need to speak up more and have more confidence. So we're sending you on a sailing camp. <laughs> and I came back and, well, it worked, Got but maybe a little too well. <laughs> yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about Costa Rica. And um, I mean, you've already talked about how they have some of the most environmentally focused policies and such great access to really quality woods. How have you found the experience of working in Costa Rica so far? Yeah, absolutely. Working in Costa Rica as a sustainable startup is a dream come true. I never knew it, but it's one of the most sustainable countries in the world. So they have made a uh, declaration that they will be carbon neutral by 2021. They've also made a declaration, which I don't know exactly if you made this one, but they will be plastic free as a country, single use plastic free. They also have uh, special import laws so that electric vehicles have 0% import tax which is a big deal because combustion fuel engine cars have a huge import tax. So it's real incentive here. But the thing we've seen with Costa Rica more than I could have expected than anywhere else in the world is they are really, really attentive and want to take care of new businesses. So they really want to foster new businesses, especially if they are green or eco or regenerative or anything like that. And so it's, like they're extremely proud to have this project in Costa Rica. Costa Rica does not have a ship shipbuilding industry. They do not have a lot of ships or vessels at all in their registry. So this will be the largest ship ever built in Costa Rica, and they're very excited about it. That is, yeah, I mean, this tiny little country is doing what the rest of the world should be doing, <laughs> setting an example. And here we have these like- They're leaders. Yeah, they're yeah. leaders. And if only they were bigger. If only they were the size of the U.S., imagine. It's funny, though. That's kind of fitting Like for this project. I never thought about it to right now. But what we say about our company is, yes, we're small, but because we're a for-profit company and we adhere to all the same laws and regulations as large companies, all of our numbers and everything we do is scalable. So I feel very confident to walk into a large shipping industry corporate headquarters and say, look, we're emission-free. And you know what's funny? That's kind of exactly what Costa Rica is as well. You're so right, yeah. Now, as you just said, sale cargo is going to be a for-profit business model. Why did you choose that approach versus, say, a not-for-profit or another model? And what role do you see the business playing in the communities that it touches? So we did, in the beginning, go back and forth a little bit of between going for non-profit or profit. And I was always personally very driven to be a for-profit company. I come from many years of being a volunteer and also working for many nonprofits in my life. And I just thought if we want to, as I mentioned, take our numbers, take our balance sheet, take everything we accomplish and we want to be taken seriously by other big for-profit companies, we need to be playing in the same league as them. And so that's why we decided to be for-profit. And just to comment on that, I, I just, from what I've seen so mm -hmm. far, if you can point to something that's really working and creating a sustainable income that doesn't rely on donations or any other form of funding entirely and, and that it's self-sustaining, it, it's so much easier to have the conversation about scalability and about doing things mm -hmm. better because, frankly, that is what makes the world go exactly. round, right? So I, I, I really, I'm a big mm -hmm. believer in the for-profit sustainable business model as well. The second part of the question was, was what role do you see the business playing in the communities that it touches? And you've already talked about the, about the tree planting programs, uh, but I understand maybe to direct this a little bit is, is that the shipyard itself is going to also be an educational center, right? Yeah. 
So we aim to, uh, we actually aim to buy the shipyard. We're currently leasing it, and probably next month or sooner, we're going to roll out our kind of scheme to buy the shipyard. But we've already begun having a big impact in this coastal community. So we've offered several small workshops to begin with, uh, which have been really well attended by our neighboring fishermen. Another way we are working with this community right now around us is simply by providing employment. So again, going back to being a for-profit business model is that we're happy to pay people wages and we're really happy to give long-term gainful employment to women in our community here because this is one of the financially poorest districts in the whole country. And so we were approached early on by the Women's Association of this small, small community. And we said, yes, we would love to give you work. And so we've had the Women's Association cooking uh, wonderful Costa Rican meals for the, the whole team for well over a year now. And that's just one way we, we've been able to get back since the beginning. Uh, but we have other ways as well in terms of programs we've set in place that will kind of really begin once Seba is making a profit. So we have a, maybe you've heard of 1% for the planet, which is a really great initiative from the folks at Patagonia, where people can give 1% of their profit towards an environmental or social uh, positive impact action. Uh, we took that and we said, well, we're going to give 10% back. <laughs> so it's kind of crazy for a for-profit business model to give such a large amount back but we do it and every single one of our shareholders agrees. And so that we, that we really look forward to is mostly, mostly tree planting is that 10%, but it can be anything environmental. We have a second program in place, which is called our SPARS program or our Sustainable Partners Reinvestment System, where our shareholders can elect to, we call it donate or contribute. It's not completely clear at this point, but they can elect to give any percent of their, future ROI or return on investment to this program. And so we have people ranging from, of course, 0% up to 100%. Many people give around 5%. And this program will be given to our sustainable partners. So whether it's small coffee farmers or local fishermen or people who are growing cacao trees or really if it's anyone, but that's our social program. And that fund is growing every day. So we're really excited about that as well. Oh, I love that. That's such a great idea. And and maybe sort of building on that, the the, the funding model for the Sabre project for Sail Cargo um, is interesting. I was looking on your website. You, you're actually selling shares. Like anyone can buy a share in the company. Uh, that's actually something I'm really, really happy with. And I really love it because it gives us, it's given us so much freedom and so much, so much power, decision-making power. So we are a for-profit business model and we are funded in this startup phase through selling shares in the company. And we started at a minimum investment of $100. It was, it's US currency, but it's Costa Rican. In Costa Rica, they use US a lot. So we started with a minimum investment of $100 and we were able to raise that up to a minimum investment of $1,000. And we've raised a significant amount of money to this point, which has allowed us to really build the ship and build the shipyard and, and achieve what we want to achieve. And it's just, for me, one of the most moving moving things is that I have hardly emailed anybody. I think I can count on one hand the people I've reached out to over the course of this whole project uh, seeking funding. 
and I don't even think they invested. Maybe they, I don't think that they did, the people I actually wrote to. We have well over 100 investors from over 20 different nations, and they have all emailed us. That's so fascinating. Who, I mean, obviously you don't, don't tell us names and things, but the types of people that are investing, are, are they sort of big investors? Are they mom and pop individuals? Are they, like, who are these people that are, you know, taking the, I mean, I would say a risk, but it's, it's also such an amazing opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, but who are they that are the forward thinking like this? It's the widest range of people. So as I mentioned, it's, we have approximately 120 people at this time from over 20 different countries and they are ranging in age from at the time of signing uh, 17 to 88 years old and they come from all different backgrounds some people invest on behalf of their company some people invest because they like boats Uh, some people invest because they want to put their money anywhere than in a bank and a lot of people invest because they want to invest in a cleaner future and how do they find you what are you doing right there (laughs) I don't know. It's literally <laughs> this con- one contact form on our website. People just fill it out and we just get in requests every day. And I maintain personal correspondence with every single person who has invested and every single person who has inquired. Wow, that's so impressive. Where is the project now? What, what stage is it at and how long will it be ready to roll out or sail, I should say? <laughs> so we uh, had a fairly... Well, I don't know. I've, I consider it a fairly long lead up time, but we worked for about two and a half years on starting the company and building the shipyard or even three years. And so January of this year, we actually laid the keel of the ship, which is the symbolic first part of actually building the vessel. And so from January till now, we have the whole keel. We have eight large ribs up uh, and the stem or the bow is also complete. So there's a lot of strong visual progress. A very rough estimate is that we are maybe 8% done the shipbuilding at this point. Okay, so quite a bit of time still to go before it's on the on the high seas. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. So we hope to have Seba in the water at the end of 2021. Might be beginning 2022, but it really is just dependent on funding. We need more than 120 investors. Yes, yes. <laughs> Some investors are getting it more attention now that are from the larger numbers. So now that we are able to actually show the ship being built, people are finding it a lot less risky, a lot easier to believe in. And actually you can see, you can start seeing some of those pulling together of the ship pieces on the some of the, your YouTube videos, which makes me think also, or makes me wonder, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the, the team involved so far. Uh, who are they and how did you attract them and how are they enjoying working on the project so far? Yeah, absolutely. So our team is our strongest asset. Absolutely, our team is the most important part of this whole thing. We have had also over 120 people, so our investors and our team members, they're almost interchangeable sometimes, uh, same amount of people. So over 120 people from 25 different nations have contributed well over 44,000 hours. That's them driving to the beach right now, I think. (laughs) And if you can hear that. And uh, so contributing well over 44,000 hours to this project and they are typically younger age, so less than 35 years old, typically, but not all. So a lot of our that, that's actually only referring to a lot of our shipwrights, so shipbuilders who come primarily from Europe. 
we also have a lot of Costa Rican team members, such as the cooks, which are of any age. And we also attract some interest from people who are, are really experienced. So we have one, one gentleman in particular who's just retired from the Netherlands, and he's a professional boat building teacher in Amsterdam. And he comes over from time to time to lead workshops, and we're really grateful for his expertise. But uh, our team, they're amazing, yeah. And so they all live here at the shipyard primarily in very rustic conditions, you could say. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed watching some of the videos. They look like a super passionate team. Like I, I watched the one about the, um, the vintage uh, ship saw. I don't know if that's the name yes, for it. Yes, I love that video. Such a good video. <laughs> um, and the team is like really serious about it. They are like, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> it's really sweet. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, uh, they also, yeah, I can see the rustic conditions. Everyone's like shirts off, hands on, like, let's get this done. Super cool. Yeah. So, this is like a grassroots startup in <laughs> every aspect. So. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's very inspiring. I, I enjoyed the other one. The one guy wrote a song about dealing, oh, yeah. <laughs> dealing with animals and crocodiles down by the water's edge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's hairy. He's got a bit of Johnny Cash in him, I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you could start a little side business there. Which, speaking of which, I noticed that you do have a little, a little film section on your website. Is that something that you plan to experiment with a lot more? Uh, well, we have different people coming here to do film. And because this is such an international project, it's really important for us to convey, just tell our story in as many ways as possible. So door is always open. The door is always open if people want to come here and do more video stuff. So it's a visually very appealing yeah, project to try to capture. So I don't know how to do video, but <laughs> I imagine that you guys, <laughs> yeah, it must be such an interesting, fun life there in the shipyard with them um, dealing with all sorts of things, including the wildlife. Because I remember when we were in Costa Rica, it's just all around you. It's, um, it's, it's so yeah. beautiful and it must be a very inspiring place to work. Yeah, well, today, for example, so the land we're on right now, we're in a mangrove estuary. And on one side, we have, I don't know, if I guess it's heavy second secondary forest. So there's just forest on our one side. But on our other side is just neighbors in the community. And what we are in, it's kind of like partially half of it is a field. And it's the it's a broken part of the biological corridor. And so we're really actively trying to reforest that. Uh, remembering that we're trying to buy the shipyards who are acting like that already. <laughs> and uh, so we planted probably today 40 different trees of several species trying to reforest a, a key part of this little property so that there's literally monkeys on one side that are in a little island. They're stranded, not a real island, but in a forest that is cut off. And so we're really trying to reforest it. You mentioned that this was inspired by Tres Hombres and mm -hmm. that's obviously inspired uh, hopefully more than just you to, to get things going. Is it, what, what else have you seen in terms of a new generation of shipping? Is, are, in, is there, are any of these ideas starting to catch on elsewhere? Yes, they absolutely are. So primarily in Europe and a little bit in Canada, the United States, there are smaller vessels that are stepping up all the time that want to do sailing cargo. And some of them have different reasons. Some of them, it's to connect with the coastal community. Some of them, they just want to make their product stand out and tell a story a lot better. Of course, the environmental reason as well. But they're primarily really small and extremely romantic and really beautiful companies. I encourage people to, to search them. 
But what we are seeing as well, and we here at Sail Cargo Inc. in Costa Rica, we get contacted very often by people who want to do a bit larger scale. And so we're really excited when people talk to us about that. And nothing's quite happened yet, but there is always, there's a new wave of shipping industry coming coming out. And that's partially fueled by new regulation by the International Maritime Organization, which is mandating very heavy cuts of emissions. So, yeah, basically the um, United Nations and World uh, International Maritime Organization are saying things have to change. And so people are beginning to get really creative. Yes, imagine that world where we don't have to burn sludge. Yes, <laughs> it's possible. Very, very possible. Yeah, I mean, imagine with all that human intellect um, to think that we're still burning sludge is kind of crazy. But now I, I imagine that, that you... A key part of getting this message more widely spread is making sure that this is genuinely an economically viable shipping model. And I'm sure you guys have done the business plans and you've figured out how to do that. What are some of the key components to make a, a sailing ship economically viable? Certain things that we look at are how far are you going to go? How fast are you going to travel? And how much cargo can you actually transport? And then the final one, which is a bit less, is is how many people does it take to run this ship, so your expenses. And with those four variables, you can kind of play with anything. So what we did was we looked at, so my goal from the outset was to create not just any sailing vessel, but a profitable, financially profitable business model. So we are triple bottom line. We also care about environment and social aspects. But if it didn't fulfill the financial aspect, it wasn't going to work because people wouldn't believe in it which kind of sad, but that's what we experienced. So we said, okay, we want to make this financially viable. Let's look at these variables. Let's play with them. Let's literally spin the globe and see where should we go? Where would be the best place to locate this company? And the distance from Costa Rica to Canada with this size ship was pretty much perfect. And we would have gone bigger. I said, links, my co-founder wanted to do a little bit smaller. And then I came back with a different plan and said, I think we should do it a lot bigger. <laughs> He's the builder, right? He's like, this is going to be a bit more difficult. But it's the financially viable size. And Seba is actually the largest size that we thought we could build. So any larger, and you kind of need to go to a shipyard, like a real industrial shipyard, which is obviously not what we wanted to do. And so economy of scale does play a big part. And so we went as large as possible, which allows us to not charge very much more than the average price and uh, yeah so far so good our investors look over the numbers and they seem satisfied with the projections and I imagine that that really amazing motor um, that electric electric engine is going to be a bit of a game changer well it's funny yes and no it will be a game changer for future technologies because we're testing it and it's another chance to make improvements on it as well, it will allow us some consistency. So if there is no wind, we can maintain our schedule well enough. And in situations, emergency situations, we have a better backup. But the primary driving engine of this ship is her sails. So it's a game changer in some senses, but not, not for the ship herself. Makes sense. Is there solar involved as well? <laughs> yeah, there will be solar involved. But, uh, the other vessel in Iceland did not have solar and use solely the uh, regenerative power of the propellers under sail. 
but because we'll be sailing in the equator area quite a bit, which is doldrums typically, so light winds, lots of sun, we thought it would be silly not to put some solar panels on there. And one thing we're really excited about is we're waiting to be approached, <laughs> we don't know who it's going to be yet, by a solar panel company that says, hey, we want to make your sails out of flexible solar panels. Whoa, that's next next level. Yeah, it's got to happen because really what Seba is is a platform or a testing ground for emerging technologies that say, we want to be on your boat because it's one of the most rugged situations where we can have real life testing and uh, to prove that our product is robust and can really deliver. And so we're like, come on, emerging technologies, reach out to us. <laughs> so when they do, you'll be like, we've been waiting for you, just like, just like these suppliers exactly. of these amazing exactly. products. <laughs> <laughs> There's clearly such a demand for, for sustainable products and sustainable ways of doing things. It's just hard to imagine that the, the future is not going to be bright without these incredible things happening. I couldn't agree more. Now, this is a very obvious question, given we've already covered all of this. But just to, to really bring it home, with your experience and skill, no doubt you could have thrown yourself into any number of sailing, shipping projects, rigging projects. Um, why did you choose to do this one specifically? I'm not entirely sure. It was a huge switch for me to go from a life based at sea, so living on ships constantly, to a life based in one location, this shipyard. And honestly, it is really challenging for me sometimes because I still get offers to you know, sail to Greenland or sail to China or do all these crazy things. and But it just, this has such a sense of meaning here and accomplishment to hopefully launch this vessel that inspires so much more. And I just think there's so much potential here that I, I couldn't walk away. Yeah, that's, I can imagine that that draw to a more meaningful existence is, is strong. Yeah. Absolutely. You're clearly going to be a source of inspiration for many out there who want to tackle big problems. <laughs> what advice would you give to mission-based startups out there who want to solve real problems? For me, I would just say absolutely think outside the box. That's something that I would say is a personal strength. Do not put anything inside the box. Don't say, mm, we could try that, but it's kind of big. So don't, don't think you can't achieve something. Because absolutely, when we start asking for things or when we start putting our goals higher, we, we reach them. And I think it can be detrimental to a startup to set your goals too low. And so I would just encourage people to just go for it. Absolutely. And now, if you could get one message into the heads of every single human on the planet and be truly heard by each of them, <laughs> what would that be? I would say don't be afraid to embrace an environmental lifestyle or don't be afraid. So this is coming from an entrepreneurial perspective. Don't be afraid to sound too eco. And that's actually a mistake I almost made. And thank goodness that my co-founder Lynx is a com completely free spirit eco person who couldn't care less. But I was so focused on okay, we're going to be a green business. We're going to be for profit. I want to make an impact. So I want people to see the numbers. And I don't want to be viewed as some sort of wishy-washy green organization. And then Lynx came up and he said, no, this is actually what people want. We should try it. Let's try it. And 
when we actually put together a really good proposal that incorporated things like tree planting and incorporated words like regenerative, and we have a composting toilet here, and we do all these things, people loved it. And I realized that I, would, I had been afraid uh, to sound too green, which sounds kind of funny, but I just don't want other people to be in that same trap. So if you're willing to have a good plan and you're willing to take the time and do the numbers and look into it, just don't be afraid to, to go for an environmental um, perspective and to share that. Absolutely, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, embrace the green. <laughs> Having said that, I think that you do yeah. a really, really great job. I mean, looking through your website, I think you do a really great job of hitting the balance. You know, the the way that you communicate the business oh, thank side you. of it. <laughs> Is, is really clear and I think it's um, it, it doesn't come across as wishy-washy at all. It's got the right balance of, you know, serious green initiative as well as the, the business element. <laughs> Thank so, you, that means a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think it's important that you get the balance and I think you've got it. Now, how can listeners support Sail Cargo and SIBA? Where can they find you guys online? So we are on almost every social media platform. Our strongest one is Instagram and our handle for all those is at Sail Cargo. So Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, just at Sale Cargo. And if you want to support us, there's several ways. Of course, you can become a fellow owner and invest in Seba, but also just clicking share and helping us tell our story is one of the most powerful things people can do. So sure. yeah, we'd love to hear from anyone. And I would definitely recommend watching the videos. Yeah, they're actually pretty funny. They're really, they're really good. Um, and I, oh, I really like your uh, introductory video that gives the overview of, of the project. I think that's a really nice way to sum it all up. Oh, great. Thank you so much. No worries. Danielle, thank you so much for taking the time to share your incredible story. It's so inspirational. I really hope that Sail Cargo takes off and makes a, <laughs> makes a huge splash in the world of shipping. Thank you. That's really, really kind. We're so happy to be here on Sustainable Jungle. And yeah, just really looking forward to, uh, to staying in touch. Wow, when we started this podcast, sustainable shipping was not the first thing we imagined learning about. But how fascinating and how inspiring. If you want to know more about Sail Cargo and the Sabre Project, we'd definitely encourage you to check out the website. Oh, and if anyone out there knows someone who could make sails out of solar panels or has any other incredible ideas that could be tested on Sabre, do get in touch with Danielle and the Sail Cargo team. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time.